so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. Hey, I got to show you guys something awesome. Are you looking at me? Josh, you shaved your hair? Yeah, I did. Why did you shave it? It was an emergency. That's Why a was it tight fade, brother. Did you get your hair caught in the fan or something? Did you have lice? No, literally, I was asleep in the middle of the night, and both eyes, the hair, like, got me in the eyes. It woke me up in the middle of the night. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello. And Brent Leatherwood. Hello once again from Tennessee. Man, Brent is back in the land of the free, and uh, he is just, you know, he is absolutely thriving. So we're excited about the show today. Uh, Later in our show, we're going to talk to a special guest, Charles Clark, who's the Vice President of Mobilization at the IMB, or the International Mission Board. We're excited to talk to Charles and get an update on how uh, coronavirus has been affecting uh, the SBC's missions work and our missions force. And so we're, you know, excited to talk to him later in the show. But Lindsay, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Okay, guys. So first up, we have an article by Aaron Mercer, who... um, has spent a lot of time in DC, a lot of time dealing with policy issues. And he and he gives us a warning about something that we need to be aware of and prayerful about and standing against. And that is a, a rise in anti-Semitism. And he reports an increase globally in anti-Semitism. So the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom just recently released its 2020 annual report. And we um had an article up on our site about that. But what Aaron does is take a deeper dive to look at these rising occurrences of anti-Semitism. And for instance, um, there is a 27% increase in anti-Semitic acts in France. Uh, In the UK, the commission notes a 7% rise in offenses. And then, of course, that's not to forget what we've had happen on our soil that we've actually written articles about in 2018 at Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Synagogue, 11 lives were claimed. And so even New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said, if anyone thinks that something poisonous is not going on in this country, then they're in denial. So Aaron also talks about the 2003 resolution at the Southern Baptist Convention, where we denounced all forms of anti-Semitism as contrary to the teachings of our Messiah and an assault on the revelation of Holy Scripture. So I'm really thankful uh, that Aaron wrote this piece. And obviously, this is a concerning development and trend across the globe, but especially here in in America. And on that final point that you mentioned, Lindsay, you know, Josh, I I think a lot of us as Southern Baptists, we don't realize the history of religious liberty uh, that is a part of our particular faith and why that's so important. And I think that that resolution speaks to how we do continually stand for religious liberty, even when it's outside of our own faith. Right. That's a really good point, Brent. And, you know, as Southern Baptist, religious freedom is something that we're absolutely committed to, and we're committed to uh, defending human dignity more broadly. And so any form of bigotry that stands against uh, people who are made in the image of God, we, we want to be people who can stand up against that, to denounce that, and to defend uh, the dignity of our fellow image bearers. Yeah, thanks for that, Brent and Josh. It is important. Religious liberty, human dignity are very important to us as believers and to the work that we do at the ERLC. So next up, we have a piece by Grace Liu, who actually was one of our interns, and now she is on staff um, working for the marketing team. And she's an excellent writer, and she's in college. She was actually at Vanderbilt and had to go home in the midst of this pandemic. And she's written an article about how college students should engage with their families during the season of staying at home. And she just talks honestly about how being at home has posed some challenges because she was in the midst of the college environment, uh, having some 
some independence and some freedom. And then you go back home under your parents' authority. Maybe you're around siblings that you can sometimes have conflict with. And so she just talks about the importance of striving for peace and honoring our parents and loving our siblings and um, just talks about how to make the most of uh, your time at home as college students. That's really great. I want to uh, just first give a shout out to Grace, who was just a stellar intern and is now uh, a colleague of ours at the URLC. Uh, this is a great piece, and she's written actually a lot of really good content recently. Uh, but I also want to give a plug for our, the URLC's internship program. So if you are in college or your son or daughter is in college right now, we uh, every summer uh, have interns that join us either in our D.C. office or our Nashville office uh, for a period of weeks, and they come in and just work alongside the URLC staff. Uh, that That's an open application process that happens early in the in the late winter and early spring every year. And so uh, even this summer, as we're not doing the on-site uh, internship, we're going to have interns working with us digitally. And so if that's something you're interested in, uh, we would encourage you to email us. And just to get some information, you can email us at our regular podcast email, just info at URLC.com. But we would love to sh- share some information about that with you. Yes, come join us. We have a great time with our interns. We build lasting relationships often. We have several people on staff now that were interns, and uh, we just love to see Uh, We love the benefit that we get from having interns around us as well. So this last piece that I've included, um, I included because it's just a good reminder, but then also it's a good recommendation for a resource in the midst of this time. And it's a piece by Hannah Welch, who was on our leadership council. And she does a review of Elizabeth Elliott's book, you know, the queen, the queen of all things evangelicalism. I don't know. What do we call her? She, she's, she's just the queen. Like she's the original mama hen. And Hannah has written a review about her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, Heeding Words of Wisdom from Elizabeth Elliot. And this book was released after Elizabeth Elliot died. But she just draws out a few lessons that she learned from this book, which were just good reminders for me. So some examples are um, suffering is necessary in order for us to grow in Christ. God is there for us in our suffering. We can ask God why we are suffering. She recommends doing the next task at hand and thanking the Lord no matter what. And in a society that, and with flesh, that seeks to avoid suffering at all costs, that's not often the life that the Lord has for us. In fact, the way of the Lord was the way of suffering that ultimately leads to glory. And so these were just good reminders for me that, that in the midst of our suffering, the Lord hasn't left us and the Lord is actually working his good purposes for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And how appropriate is it that we're featuring a piece on Elizabeth Elliot when our conversation is with Charles from the International Mission Board later in the show? Very true. Yes. It's neat how the Lord works those things out, isn't it? And we should mention that Elizabeth Elliot showed in her life how to endure through so many just uh, travails out there. And I know a lot of us in this moment, we're dealing with a whole bunch of uh, different variables in our lives and different hurdles and different struggles. Uh, Her testimony, uh, her life just serves as a, a encouragement for all of us that we will make it through this. And in the midst of doing that, we can remain faithful uh, to our God. Yeah, that is so true, Brent. And, you know, I'm thankful for the multitude of people that we have as a cloud of witnesses on how to walk with our Savior through suffering. So um, these three pieces sum up what we've had on our site this week. We have a lot more, but that's what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that moves us to our culture section for the week. So, Brent, tell us what you've been paying attention to in the world of culture. Well, I thought it was appropriate for this week for us to start with where I left off last week. So if you recall last week during our taping of the podcast, I was rudely interrupted by a lightning strike and I was taken off the air. And thankfully, my, my two colleagues were able to pick right but up without me. not off the planet. Not off the planet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I did not enter the kingdom uh, because it did, did not directly uh, you know, strike me. So anyways, I figured it would be appropriate to start this week with some weather-related items. So on a serious note, uh, there has been uh, a 500-year flood that has struck Michigan, specifically the town of Midland. So uh, various reports from around the country uh, say that a a rain-swollen river has flooded fields and streets in part of mid-Michigan 
after breaching two dams uh, in the middle of this week, forcing the evacuation orders for thousands of citizens of Midland, Michigan, and surrounding areas. And you can just imagine in this moment of coronavirus and shelter at home and uh, all of that, uh, just how complex this whole operation has been there to save these lives. Yeah, someone who has lived through multiple uh, very devastating floods uh, in eastern North Carolina, my my heart goes out to the people who are suffering right now because I can't imagine being in this situation and not even having uh, the the ease of disaster relief workers being able to come and provide uh, you know vital services because right now with coronavirus it. All of that stuff is just so much more challenging. And speaking of Eastern North Carolina, the other weather-related item that bears mentioning this week is Tropical Storm Arthur. Uh, Arthur is the season's first named storm, and that's actually a little bit noteworthy because generally hurricane season doesn't officially begin until June 1st, although there have been tropical storms and hurricanes before June 1st, but generally that's when meteorologists say it begins. Uh, it brought rip currents and high surf to uh, the southeastern coast of the United States, including, Josh, your homeland of North Carolina, and the remnants of the storm are actually circling back in the Atlantic and may bring seven-foot uh, swells to the state of Florida. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. It, it feels pretty trivial to complain about the fact that it will not stop raining in light of the fact that other people are really suffering with devastating flooding, but it has been unreal. Uh, every single day, it has felt like uh, I'm living in Seattle or something because it's just gloomy and raining all day long. And I keep wondering, like, where is this rain going and when is it going to go away? That's right, Josh. And as we know, the rain will fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Oh my word! I can't bring myself to laugh at that. What? What? Hey, what? That was a Jesus juke combined with a dad joke. It was just exactly. It was just That's exactly what it was. And I'm it was taping a dad this, juke. And I'm taping this from my rocking chair, so it's from very appropriate. That's right. <laughs> All right. So elsewhere across the country. The U.S. has hit an important milestone. I think that all of us can celebrate. All 50 states are now taking uh, steps to reopen. They're going to be in various phases. But according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, all 50 states have now now begun reopening with uh, Connecticut uh, being the last state on Wednesday of this week uh, to begin emerging from the lockdowns that we've all been affected by. And if you remember early on as the uh, pandemic was hitting and lockdowns were forcing everyone to shelter in place, do you remember that there was speculation that there might be a COVID baby boom? Oh, yes. I have no doubt about That's, it, Brent. Well, so here's the deal. It's going to be needed. So staying with the Wall Street Journal, they reported this week that the general fertility rate fell 2% to 58.2 births per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44. That's remarkable because it's the lowest level since the government began tracking this figure in 1909. And I think it's really noteworthy because uh, the data is just the latest sign of how American childbearing, uh, which did begin its decline in the 2007 through 2009 Great Recession, it's actually never fully recovered. And uh, that's alarming because in order to kind of keep growing, you got to have people. Yeah, honestly, well that's something that I find to be. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's profound. Uh, it's something that bothers me a lot. Like when I think about it, because it seems like there is this connection and I don't know how direct the connection is, but there is some connection uh, between, you know, a growing sense of secularism and a lack of childbearing and a lack of like family formation. And so, you know, it is kind of alarming to see the, the birth rate drop to such a degree. You know, and Brent, you have this note in here that millennials have been slower to form families than previous generations, in part, economists say, because they're less financially secure than those before them. That just strikes me because they cannot be less financially secure than those like in the early 1900s, you know, who were having children. And then you think about in the Great Depression. But Dr. Moore even says when people ask him about this, should I wait till I have my finances in order? And of course, you want to be wise before I have kids. And he says, you're never going to feel financially ready to have children. Like you're never going to feel like all your ducks in a row or that you have enough money to have more children, but um, the Lord provides. And that's what I've heard time and time again, as my husband and I have sought to 
to start our family that the Lord provides. It is, it is scary, but, um, he does provide, uh, when we bring these, these blessings that are children into the world. Well, so the next item on the list is something that we actually touched on last week because we got word from Ravi Zacharias's family that he was returning from seeking cancer treatment in Texas. And just a few days after that, he actually passed away. So from um, Christianity Today, their summary was this. The well-known apologist died on Tuesday of this week, two months after it was announced that he had been diagnosed with cancer. He was 74. The popular author and Christian teacher was known for his work through Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, which focused on apologetic arguments for the existence of God and the reasonableness of Christianity. He preached in more than 70 countries and authored more than 30 books during his 48-year career. And um, it is a career that touched a number of folks that we know, a number of us on staff, and uh, I think it helped more than a few of us uh, who struggled in our early days with Christianity. I know for me personally, it was you know it was pretty devastating. Uh, Tuesday, finding out uh, about Robbie's passing was was a really hard day. I actually sat down. I didn't even necessarily intend to. I just sat down and started typing out some of the feelings and the thoughts uh, that I was having, and I passed them on actually to Lindsay, who you know is the uh, queen of content at, at ERLC, and just said, "Hey, do you do you think this is worth sharing with anybody else?" She ended up posting it on ERLC.com. It's basically just a reflection on what I learned uh, from Robbie Zacharias. His ministry uh, was instrumental in bringing me through the darkest season of a spiritual crisis that I've ever experienced in my life. Ravi showed me that it's not only possible but necessary uh, to hold on to uh, your intellect, to be able to use your abilities to reason uh, while being a person of, of sincere and deep faith. That these things are not in conflict with one another, but that in fact Christianity is, is an eminently rational uh, religion. And he helped guide me through that period of darkness. And I've been so grateful for his ministry for more than a decade personally. And I know that, you know, as we look around on social media right now, you can just see that thousands and thousands of people sharing stories about how Robbie's ministry uh, encouraged their faith, brought them, helped bring them to faith, uh, or sustained them through through periods like the one that I've described for myself. So uh, anyway, it, it is a devastating loss, and it's something that uh, you know I'm grateful to God for Robbie's life, and I pray that he would raise up many more men and women who can be that kind of standard bearer for the gospel in the days to come. Well, I appreciate those those thoughts for sure. So given that Zacharias preached on six different continents, I think that's a fitting jumping off point to look at international events that took place this week, of which there were several. So let's begin with weather here in this section as well. As Cyclone Amphan slammed into coastal towns and cities in India and Bangladesh on Wednesday afternoon. 80 deaths have been reported so far, but leaders say that the large-scale evacuations that took place as the storm approached may have saved countless lives. And just as we mentioned earlier with Michigan, you can imagine just the hurdles of evacuating people in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic. Many folks on that note are wondering what the future of international global health leadership may look like in the wake of the pandemic. Well, we've been given a potential preview this week. Chinese President Xi Jinping told the 73rd World Health Assembly that China's funding package would aid economic and social development in developing countries hit badly by COVID-19. As a matter of fact, he pledged billions of dollars to go to the World Health Organization. That contrasts with President Donald Trump's move to withdraw donations from the WHO, which would mean stepping back as the organization's biggest financial backer. Now, the U.S. hasn't made a final determination about its funding, but it is expected to, to come uh, in the next few weeks what that will be. This is important just because we're all thinking through what is our world going to look like after coronavirus, be it domestically in our own backyards or internationally. And according to the English newspaper, The Guardian, this is a, a really hopeful note. Suicides are down significantly in Japan. The suicide rate in the country fell by 20% in April compared with the same time last year, and that's the biggest drop in five years. Which is some heartening information, Brent, and I just wonder if it has something to do with uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic shutting things down, not having as much pressure on them, maybe 
maybe having time with family. I don't know, but that's a, that's a huge drop in a culture that has been plagued with this. That's exactly right, Lindsay. And, and that's actually what the article points out is that because people have been sheltering place in their homes, there has been less pressure on them uh, to perform either at work or at school, which is another source of, of pressure. And so this is actually a really promising development uh, for the culture. Which is also just uh, something for us to think about as Christians, as we live our lives, as we raise our families, those with families, thinking about how do we want to live them? Because we're seeing this data come out. Um, you know, there's some data about increased anxiety, but there's data about kids with decreased anxiety. In Japanese, suicide rates fall, uh, or in Japan, the suicide rates fall. So what does that say about the pace that we try to keep often, like keeping up with the Joneses? And what does that say for the pace that we need to um, we need to choose for our families in the future when we go back to quote unquote normal. You're absolutely right. The and that pace, that hectic pace, it apparently is something that folks wrestle with across different cultures. So that's a good reminder. Speaking of coronavirus and its effect on things, our sister SBC entity Lifeway announced this week that camp sessions for 2020 have been canceled because of continued concerns stemming from the outbreak. So Ben Trueblood, who's the director of students at LifeWay, told Baptist Press the decision came after monitoring the impact of the pandemic and evaluating guidance from the CDC and other local and state authorities to ensure, quote, that we are taking the right actions to protect our campers, our staff, and the communities where we host camps. In the days ahead, LifeWay Kids and LifeWay Students teams will be working to provide digital resources, including Bible study materials, devotion materials, worship services, and more to assist our children and student ministry leaders across uh, the SBC. You know, it's a necessary but a sad turn of events because of how the Lord works during camps. Our own Megan Smith, a research ninja behind the podcast, um, was a camp staffer and has so many friends that were in the in the midst of that. And then I, my life was changed um, or affected, you know, at Centrifuge Camp. I was able to serve at a Mission Fuge Camp. And so the Lord just works in kids' lives during these camps. So I know that He will advance His kingdom and continue to work, but still we mourn uh, that they're not able to have their camps this year. That's really well said, Lindsay. Um, one, I mean, don't want to undersell Megan. We've already used the word queen to describe something, but if I was going to set a queen over LifeWay's camps, I would I would give that distinction to Megan Smith. And um, I know personally, like the Lord has used those kinds of camp experiences to do the most kind of formative work in my own spiritual life, and it, it is devastating. It's devastating for LifeWay because this is a this is a huge part of what they do. A lot of times we don't necessarily think about LifeWay as being a camps, uh, that, that being one of their things, but it really is. And the work that they do there changes the trajectory of people's lives. And so, uh, you know, it's really sad that this is uh, a necessary development for now. And we can only pray that, you know, by the time next summer rolls around or even any, any camp opportunities that might come in the intervening months, uh, that those would be possible. All right. So for this next item, I'm going to channel my best Dan Darling, our friend. Some good news on the race to Bring find a vac. That's right. <laughs> so there's some good news, definitely, on the race to find a vaccine for coronavirus. So Moderna, a drug manufacturing company, uh, they have had some closely watched early stage human trials for a vaccine. And these early stage trials have produced antibodies in all 45 participants they announced this week, and it sent their, their uh, shares surging on the stock market. There are actually more than 100 vaccines that are currently under development across the globe, according to the World Health Organization. And at least eight vaccines are now in an advanced stage of uh, human trials. So that's really positive because obviously one of the things that a number of folks are uh, either paying attention to or honestly even waiting on before they will feel comfortable about fully getting uh, back into society is a vaccine. Um, so uh, I should add just one caveat to all this that we're probably still many months away from the average person being able to obtain a vaccine. We should all keep that in mind. But this is really hopeful news that some progress is being made in our fight against this pandemic. Never in my life 
did I think about vaccines as being something that people would be counting down the days until something like that was available. You know, you uh, think about it almost as some kind of like necessary, uh, necessary evil every year. It's like, hey, did you get your flu shot? And we talk about, you know, oh, I'm not going to get it. Or you better, you better make sure you get it. We have these debates and stuff like that. But I don't know anyone who is not eager uh, in, in awaiting the time when we can get a vaccine because it just that that seems like that that marker that's out there that that represents life really starting to go back to normal, not not this kind of in between stage of reopening that we'll be in with all of these accommodations, but hopefully like a real uh, so whatever a real sense of normalcy would feel like. I think the vaccine is one of those benchmarks. So this next item is honestly just for those of us who like gripping reads about behind the scenes work that's going on. So the the Wall Street Journal has a fascinating report about March 16th. Now, for many of us, March 16th doesn't really stick out as an important day, but it was on the stock markets. And that was the day that things nearly went over the cliff on the stock market. So the financial system, it's endured a number of credit crunches and market crashes over the years. But a lot of folks point to that day in mid-March as being a particularly stressful day. There was a quote in the article that said this, the the 2008 financial crisis was like a car crash in slow motion. This was more like boom, and everything just, they thought, potentially hung in the balance. So it's an interesting read. We'll put it in the show notes, but I thought it'd be uh, something to share with our audience. Moving over to kind of pop culture. I thought this was just a great note. A 10-year-old girl, according to CNN, has sent more than 1,500 art kits to kids in foster care and homeless shelters during the coronavirus lockdown. I love to see kids take the initiative and show some ingenuity and figure out creative ways to serve other people. Uh, This is just a fascinating thing to me. So Chelsea Fair is her name, and she's a 10-year-old from Danbury, Connecticut, And she has sent more than 1,500 children who are living in uh, homeless shelters or foster care homes. She has sent them art kits that include things like markers, crayons, paper, uh, coloring books, colored pencils, gel pens, what have you. And she sent them to to these kids across the country. Uh, What a a wonderful way of serving uh, communities around the country. Yeah, that's so neat. Good for Chelsea and her parents. All right, so Lindsay, Josh, are you in the mood for some pizza? I'm always in the mood for pizza. Depends what kind. No, it doesn't. Exactly. It depends. No, it does depend on what kind. What if I told you we could go get pizza fresh from Chuck E. Cheese? (laughs) Chuck E. Cheese's pizza is underrated. (laughs) Oh, man. I just had a friend with strong opinions the other day about how it's terrible. Probably my most popular tweet of all time was me just going on a, you know, again, in honor of Dan Darling, a cranky Yankee rant about the fact that people always send you emails and they say, I hope this finds you well. And I tweeted like, dear email person, uh, your email rarely finds me well. If you want to find me well, send pizza. That's true. Your 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 inner ne'er do well uh, is uh, it, it really resonates with that for sure. Okay, so this was from a report in the the New York Post. According to Eagle Eye Diners, uh, they spotted a change on Grubhub. So uh, Chuck E. Cheese was doing business, delivery business for pizza as Chuck E. Cheese, but they recently changed their name to Pasquale's Pizza and Wings uh, with an entirely redesigned and distinctly mouseless, Chuck E. Cheese is a mouse, uh, brand logo design, what have you. And uh, one woman in Philadelphia shared how she felt duped by the Chuck E. Cheese entertainment brand when she ordered pizza from Pasquale's using Grubhub. Lindsay, if you were going to order pizza and you saw a brand new shop open up called Pasquale's, but then you were served Chuck E. Cheese pizza, would you feel duped? Well, my question is, how did she know? Was it in a Chuck E. Cheese box? How are these uh, diners eagle-eyed? I mean, it may have to do something with the subpar pizza that that she received. I don't know. Well, but lots of places have subpar pizza. (laughs) My first guess would be that it was Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, not according to Josh. Okay. I've actually seen uh, other examples of this. I don't remember where it was, but like not that long ago, I saw a news story about uh, someone who's basically making like DiGiorno's for people and then delivering them. And they were using some service like Grubhub to like make people think they were ordering pizza from some specialty shop. And really they were just getting somebody's oven, oven warmed, you know, store-bought pizza. Yeah. 
Well, but it's not delivery. It's DiGiorno's. It's DiGiorno. That's right. And not that there's anything wrong with frozen pizza. <laughs> no. On a final note, as professional sports leagues are preparing to begin practices in this week, as a matter of fact, they're open. They have facilities open in several states that are in an advanced stage of, of reopening. One area, though, that has a very unclear future is minor league baseball. So Sports Illustrated this week, it's actually their cover story, did a deep dive into how coronavirus is affecting the baseball teams that make up the farm network for Major League Baseball. And so they sent out a survey uh, to a number of different clubs, and the survey results make clear that minor leagues are, quote, facing a crisis that could destroy professional baseball in cities across the country. Uh, They said that this moment is pummeling minor league baseball teams. And so as someone who's originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the beloved Chattanooga Lookouts, who have been there since the uh, late 1800s, they are a team that is facing a financial crisis in the midst of this. And I got to tell you, this just this just kills me uh, because minor league baseball is just a part of America. Brett, this is a fun thing where I'm literally only talking to you on the podcast, but I grew up going to watch the Carolina Mudcats uh, play baseball all the time, and they played the Chattanooga Lookouts all the time. And so, you know, who knew that even uh, many years ago, we were watching the same teams play each other, uh, you know, in probably in North Carolina and in East Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, I've got um, last summer, I took the kids to a game in Chattanooga. And they got to run the bases right after the game. And to think that that experience – and look, here's the deal. I mean, for the for most people, when they go to a minor league baseball game, it, it's in many ways less about the final score and just more about the overall experience that you get to have with whomever you're going with, family, what have you. And I, it just – man, to think that this might be a victim of coronavirus, it's – Man, it, we're going to lose a uh, instrumental part of the uh, fabric of American society. Well, Josh and Brent, I know that y'all are worried about this and kind of mourning, but what I would be mourning is the fact that I wouldn't be able to go to the concession stands because that's why I go to a baseball game. Give me a pretzel with mustard and a busy Coke and some peanuts and Cracker Jacks, and I'm a happy camper. Well, you you actually are proving my point that in many cases, it's less about the game and more about the experience that you get to have there. So we need to need to band together and try and save minor league baseball. So, Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. So for today's interview, we're excited to be hosting Charles Clark. He was vice president of mobilization at the IMB, the International Mission Board. And we are so thankful at the SBC for the IMB, for their heart for the nations, for sending the gospel to the nations. Clark grew up as a missionary kid, and he has more than 15 years experience with the IMB. He also had a corporate career until the Lord called him back into ministry. He and his wife, Karen, had three grown children and nine grandchildren, and we're excited to talk to him now. So Charles, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you are serving in ministry right now. Well, my wife and I have three kids, all grown, and they're spread out throughout the United States. I'm actually a third culture kid or missionary kid. I grew up in Venezuela, where my parents served for 38 years. So all of my growing up years was overseas. And uh, after going to college, I began a corporate career with a Fortune 500 company, ended up working in the corporate space for some 29 years uh, before I went on a mission trip. And in in that particular experience, uh, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, uh, almost like the burning bush experience of Moses minding his own business while he's tending the sheep, and there was a burning bush there. So that happened 17 years ago or 18 years ago this month, in which, uh, and then since then, my wife and I have been serving in the Americas, and we work, uh, been working for the International Mission Board, and then most recently taking on the role of Vice President for Mobilization based here in Richmond, Virginia. Well, thank you for briefly sharing your story. I just love to hear how the Lord works in other people's lives. It's such a faith builder. 
Um, And as we find ourselves in this truly strange season, can you tell us one thing God is teaching you right now? Well, I tell you what he's, he's teaching me is something that I also, as I went from the corporate career, which uh, is very different, as you can imagine, to ministry and missionary in particular, and that was a recognition of, of the total need of dependence on God and, and dependence on a God who is faithful. And uh, as, as I was leading the America Missionary Force through a, a time of great change and, and all, uh, one of our rallying cries, which still I hold today and is, is, is helping me through this, is to remember the Lord, uh, to remember his faithfulness, remember how he was faithful in the past, how he's faithful in the present, and how he will continue to be faithful. And as a result of that, it's not a matter of sensing being paralyzed by the circumstances we're living in, but even trusting, and in many respects, being still and know that I'm God. And so uh, that has been so helpful in my own life that has gone through many transitions as well as many challenges. Charles, that's a, that's a really encouraging word. Uh, so you serve as the VP of mobilization for the IMB, and we love our sister entity, uh, the International Mission Board. And in many ways, the IMB is the heartbeat of the Southern Baptist Convention. Could you tell us a little bit, provide a little window for our audience uh, about the ways that the coronavirus pandemic has changed things for IMB missionaries and, and personnel? Let me first say uh, there, there are two things that have not changed. The first is God's vision that we embrace, which is uh, we find it in Revelation 7, uh, 9 and 10, uh, where it talks about in our vision statement of a multitude from every language, people, tribe and nation knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And then our mission statement, which is to serve Southern Baptists and carrying out the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. So those things do not change regardless of the circumstances. Now, how those are played out and how those are expressed in the times that we are living are still deeply rooted in one characteristic that uh, we always train our missionaries, and that is flexibility. (laughs) Flexibility in ministry and also flexibility in location. So it kind of reminds me of that wherever he leads, I will go or I will follow. And, and, and for that matter, wherever he leads, I will serve. So examples of how things maybe have been affected with the uh, COVID-19 virus is, is, is that how we're doing ministry in this period of time is different. Great stories, go on imb.org of that um, missionary couple uh, sitting in their apartment building overlooking a quadrangle of buildings and on on Easter Sunday with their each in separate windows and the guitar singing gospel songs in Spanish and everybody coming out on their balconies listening and plotting. And then the next door neighbor coming in tears uh, saying thank you and thank you for that little gift that was laid. Those doors were open because there was a, a COVID-19. Uh, the Zoom discipleship, uh, one of the challenges at times is transitioning from that everyday kind of ministry that you're used to and, and not really looking at other ways to get the gospel to people. But in the, in the day and age we're living in this situation is, as you know, Zoom or other chat sites are being used prolifically by our missionaries in the area of discipleship, in the area of worship, in the area of even having baptisms through that that medium. And then in terms of location, uh, a number of our missionaries have had to leave their areas because of the situation has been so dangerous. Some have gone to a different city within the same country. Some have had to go to a different country, outright, or in this case, come back to the United States. But even in those situations, as we look at our mission statement of serving Southern Baptists, uh, we're using those opportunities to connect, to tell the story of how God continues to be at work in the midst of difficulty. Actually, he's opening doors and hearts of people who were not open before because of their sense of hopelessness, desperation and fear. So kind of goes back to that verse in all circumstances, give thanks prayer and thanksgiving. And uh, so we're thankful 
we're thankful for how the God is showing us that his ways are greater and we are just trusting that he will use us in ways that give him honor and glory. Those stories are so encouraging because we know it to be true. You know that God uses all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, but sometimes we don't see it. So it's just sweet when the Lord gives us a little window into what he's doing, especially in the midst of a pandemic. So looking ahead, what do you think the future looks like for global missions over the next few months and years? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the vision of mission doesn't uh, change. Our vision is God's vision, actually. It's not even our vision. And the mission is, as an entity of Southern Baptist, we are committed to continue to serve, to help make possible for churches to be sending bodies uh, of, of their members to the nation. So, And then, of course, as you look at how is it going to play out, it's a good question. But we do know several things is that this has forced our, our missionary force to look at, at, at ministry in different ways. So in many respects, I see it where as things slowly but surely get back to whatever that new normal is, that those traditional opportunities of outreach will remain. But our eyes have been open to to uh, how we can be more effective in using technology. And a great example is as as this pandemic was hitting us in in in, in Central America uh, and in Mexico, uh, we were in the process of implementing a a kind of a social media campaign that was reaching people who you know were not believers. And we were using unique mechanism methods uh, by by technology in which we were capturing those and then leading to next uh, phase of conversations. So what we are hearing the stories from our missionaries is that they are actually encouraged by how God is opening their eyes to new ways to get the gospel. The gospel remains the same. But we're confident that some of the methods are, are going to change or maybe so much, not so much change, but we added to our toolkit in, in which with greater confidence our missionary force can, can be out there uh, serving the Lord. That's, that's really good to hear, Charles. So for our final question, uh, you know, this is such a challenging time for people because in many ways your work has now come home with you and it's hard to find those breaks or hard to leave work behind. And so uh, one of the things that we've asked our guests recently is how, how have you tried uh, to relax, uh, especially in this season where we are working from home. Is there anything in particular that that you've enjoyed about this time? Well, there's a couple things. One is uh, my wife and I do walk, uh, but with this being home all the time, uh, we're more intentional, particularly me, more intentional. And it has been truly a joy to be out in the neighborhood walking. And I suspect many of you have experienced the same thing where you see actually families walking. You see a mother, father, and a 22-year-old daughter or son or, or a brother and sister with the mom and dad. You would never see that. And they're talking, they're conversing. You say, wow, this is a unique period of time. And it just kind of says, how can we preserve some of this? And so that's one thing. And then maybe a little more on the kind of binge watching some old series that you, Karen and I, many years ago, West Wing. You may not, you may all be too young. You remember that one. But we started with oh, season no, they one. Love I love the West Wing on this podcast. Okay, well, the West Wing, we started it uh, a few weeks back. And, you know, with Netflix and all, we, uh, we've we been kind of binge watching it. It's an episode a night. And so that's kind of been kind of fun that normally the a hectic pace of life and uh, ha- has not afforded us. So uh, we're thankful for how the Lord has actually uh, brought a different pace in, in some respects in our lives. And, and I hope that we all can, can learn from this and say there's something to capture here and make sure we don't lose it when we move forward from this. Thank you much for giving of your time and thank you for the way you're serving um, the IMB and we really appreciate it. Okay, well, I do appreciate all that ERLC does on behalf of Southern Baptists and it's an important role that, that y'all play. And so very thankful and grateful. This episode of the ERLC podcast was sponsored by The Good Book Company, publishers of a new book called Abortion, the latest in the Talking Points series. In this short book, 
Dr. Lizzie Ling and Vaughn Roberts survey the Christian worldview and help us to think biblically, speak wisely, and act compassionately as we engage with the people, the questions, and the heartache surrounding abortion in a society with very different values. Dr. Lizzie Ling was a doctor for many years and worked in Africa supporting local churches as they cared for those affected by HIV AIDS. Vaughn Roberts is a pastor and author of many books. For more information about this book, go to thegoodbook.com. That's thegoodbook.com. So now it's time for the lunch room, where every week we share with you the things we've been talking about with one another. So Lindsay, what's on your mind this week? So I'll try to find a link for this. I was searching and couldn't find it, but it was really cool. My friends, well, actually my first boss, David Melber, um, he was a part of a Christian youth camp and conference center ministry, and then he worked at NAM. But his son, Jonas, is an incredible athlete, but he was picked up on Sports Center um, because I think they were doing a segment just on people that had posted sports things that they were doing while during the pandemic. And he was wakeboarding and while wakeboarding, he caught a fish in his hand. Like, so it was pretty epic and he made it a number three on the top 10 countdown. So that's pretty cool to make a sports center. He just graduated. So I'm sure he was loving that. I think that's an achievement. It's a total achievement. He could put it on his resume, I think. But then the other thing that I was going to mention, a resource that I actually haven't read, which I guess I do this in the lunchroom. I talk about things that I haven't exactly experienced, but I know it's going to be great because I see so many great people recommending it. It's a book by Dane Ortland, who is uh, the son of Ray and Janny Ortland, who are amazing. Their kids are amazing too. But he's written a book about Jesus called Gentle and Lowly, and he um, explores those aspects of Jesus's character. And the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And you know, we've We've talked maybe a little bit about um, biblical manhood and womanhood. We talk a lot about it around the lunchroom, um, but we talk about the emphasis on um, being a a macho man, which um, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you are. But I think we neglect gentleness and lowliness, which is what Christ displayed uh, in so many instances. And it's not really valued in our culture or in our hearts as men or women. So I want to read this book and I want it to shape me and cause me to worship the Lord for who he is. Lindsay, I think that's really, really well said. And um, honestly, you know, if you're not familiar with Ray Ortland's ministry, he is someone that I could rec- recommend uh, and, and commend to you. He has raised not only a great family, but he's just a model of what it looks like to be a, a person who is who models Christ-likeness. And he's someone that I just look up to and respect. And along those same lines, Lindsay, that you were talking about with the whole idea of we need a definition of biblical manhood that that can encompass uh, the full range or spectrum of manhood. We need uh, somebody who taught me a lot about that was actually Darren Patrick, who we talked about a few weeks ago uh, after his passing, that Darren Patrick had this phrase where he said, men need to be tough and tender. They have to have both sides. And and to, to faithfully follow Christ, you need to be able to do that because the Jesus who was able to weep at the tomb of Lazarus uh, over the death of his friend was the same Jesus who was able to fashion a whip of cords and drive grown men out of the temple when they were exchanging money uh, in, in the house of God. And so uh, we need that kind of definition of manhood. Moving us in a different direction, my lunchroom this week goes back to sports. I don't know if you have seen it, but there is this meme. You know, we've seen so many memes that are just trying to help us uh, laugh about and, you know, understand this moment we're living in that is 2020. Well, the one I saw this week that has been sticking with me was from a, a left-handed major league pitcher named Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson was like this uh, lefty that had this nasty slider and a very wicked fastball. Back during uh, spring training, they had this there was just this, you know, famous scene. And honestly, it's kind of gruesome. So if you are skittish or whatever, I wouldn't recommend looking at it. But Randy Johnson threw one of his fastballs. And right before it uh, got to the batter at the plate, it made contact with a dove and the dove exploded. Oh my word. I was wondering uh, what that meme was going around. (laughs) So there is this, um, this meme. Was it a dove? Was it a dove or a seagull? I'm nearly certain it was a dove. Okay. Well, but either, but yes, the the video itself is, it's not that gruesome because all you see is just, (laughs) just a puff of feathers. Well, yes, like, like a poof. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it looks like you dropped a bag of flour. Um, And I actually looked back because I was really interested and I looked like went and read an article about this happening because I was like, okay, but 
was that a ball, a strike? Like, how do you deal with that? And the, the ball was ruled dead. And so uh, that was one of the very few times that the pitch essentially just didn't count. And so didn't affect the pitch count one way or the other. But anyway, Randy Johnson, that thing. And so the meme uh, that I'm talking about is just, uh, you know, my expectations versus 2020. And my expectations is just Randy Johnson and a picture of a uh, of a dove, I think sitting on ice. But anyway, like it is every time I see it, it is cracking me up because that's kind of how it feels uh, this year. Like it has just been one thing after another. Uh, we, we laugh about it sometimes so that we don't cry. And that anyway, that meme perfectly encapsulates some of my feelings about 2020. That's a great meme. All right. So for, for my part, I saw, I mean, apparently I was just doing a lot of reading in the wall street journal this week, but they had a great story about how drive-ins are making a comeback in the midst of coronavirus. So uh, even before all this hit, my wife and I would routinely each summer take our kids to a drive-in movie theater east of Nashville, uh, and we love doing it. Um, But during the pandemic, Americans are giving drive-ins a fresh look. So the the drive-in heyday was decades ago. But because of uh, so many multiplexes and movie theaters being shut, drive-ins in all but a handful of states have been given the all clear to start running movies again. And I think that's great. So as I'm lamenting the potential demise of minor league baseball, I can celebrate drive-ins making a comeback. Finally, before we sign off, we have one more segment, which is the inbox. Brent, why don't you tell us what's in the mail this week? All right. So our question this week comes from a listener who has a, uh, a very relevant question, I think. Our ministry team at church is trying to think through issues related to ministry and transgenderism. What advice or resources does the ERLC recommend on this front? I think the first thing that I would say is uh, our colleague, our former colleague, Andrew Walker, who is now a professor at Southern Seminary, wrote a book while he was working with us called God and the Transgender Debate. And that book, uh, had, it came out several years ago, and it is still incredibly relevant. It provides a lot of the kind of foundation level uh, information that you would need in order to think through uh, these kinds of issues as you're seeking not only to minister uh, to people who are transgender or experiencing uh, gender dysphoria, but also as you're trying to think through uh, strategies as a church or as a ministry team about, about how to how to address this with your own congregation and how to handle various situations that might come up. Yeah, and Josh, um, we've got several things on our site, erlc.com. If listeners, if you would uh, just type in a search engine there on erlc.com, trans, the word transgender, you'll come up with a list of resources. Andrew Walker, who Josh just mentioned, has some articles there. Specifically, he has one talking about navigating pronouns while loving your neighbor. Um, there's an article titled Five Things Every Christian Must Know About the Transgender Debate. Another one, 10 Ways to Love Your Transgender neighbor. So we have several resources there. I would also recommend our friends at the Gospel Coalition. They always have good, helpful, solid, biblically solid resources. So thegospelcoalition.com. And again, you'd probably type in transgender in that search engine. And before we sign off, we just want to say thanks so much for listening every week. Uh, If you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. Uh, It's always helpful for more people to discover the podcast. And just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we'll be back next week with more content.